worthy of all of our praise. Amen. As we continue worshiping to the Holy One, let's again think about this time of year and how awesome it is and what he did for us. with us today at Crossroads. Sorry, 
can be seated as we continue, please. I want to be close, close to your side, so heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above. Singing as one, Alleluia, Holy, Holy, God Almighty, the Great I Am, who is worthy, none beside Thee, God Almighty, the Great I Am. to your heart, loving the world and hating the dark. I want to see dry bones living again, singing as one. Hallelujah, holy, holy, God Almighty, the great I am. There is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am, the great I am, the great I am. There is no power in hell for any who can stand. 
Thank you for your great singing this morning. I'll tell you, that's inspirational. Uh, we have a missionary family visiting our church this morning, uh, Josh and Denise Stewart. And so would you come forward, please? Uh, they're going to Ireland. And so let's welcome them to our church today, okay? And... Uh, Uh, Josh is Ruth Ann Slagle's brother, and so uh, he ha has an automatic in here at our church. <laughs> yeah, welcome to our church. They're going to Ireland. They're going to tell you a little bit about what they're, what they're doing. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's been great so far being here uh, this morning. We had a great time uh, in our Sunday school class this morning, uh, just uh, really just, just talking from the heart how God has been working in our life. Um, but we just wanted to say thank you so much for having us come, and thank you so much for the support from last or this year. Um, we really couldn't be going to the field without your giving, and uh, we just want to say thank you so much for that and how much that means that we're able to go and uh, be ambassadors uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf in the Republic of Ireland. And I hope that you're excited about that. If anything, we can... Uh, if, what we can do here this morning is just get you excited about uh, the ministry, uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ, and having uh, missionaries go to the Republic of Ireland on, his, on, uh, on behalf of you uh, to spread the gospel there. Um, so be excited about that. We're going to be leaving in January on the 27th. We're going to go through Christmas and New Year's here and spend that time with the family. And I really didn't realize I had such a claim to fame being Ruth Ann Slagle's brother. But hey, you know what? Uh, use what you got, right? So, uh, you know, it's wonderful being here and spending time with her as well. Uh, this is my lovely wife, Denise, and we have four children. Uh, they are resting at home. We've been on deputation about two years now, and uh, they're, just, they're just tired. So, you know, they're just with grandma. You know how grandma's house is. There's uh, less rules and more cookies. So they're enjoying that uh, time with Grandma right now back in Canton, Ohio, where we're from. Uh, we have a video here. Uh, it's about seven minutes long. And in the video, we have three goals that we'd like to see accomplished uh, when we arrive in the Republic of Ireland. Because uh, we are on missionaries on deputation. We're not back on a furlough. Uh, this will be our first time moving our whole house and everything uh, over to the Republic of Ireland as we get established there. But we have three goals uh, that we'd like you to watch on the video. So um, it was wonderful being here. And if you have any other questions, uh, you can always come back to the back table where we have much information. Our testimonies are back there, a sign-up sheet for our newsletter, and uh, our prayer cards are back there. So please uh, come by and pick up uh, as much as you would like. Thank you so much.
Josh and Denise Stewart, and God has called us to be missionaries to the Republic of Ireland. As we prepare to go to the Republic of Ireland, we have three major goals that we would like to see accomplished in our first term. Our first goal and most important goal to our family is to set up a home in Malo, which is located in the southernmost part of Ireland. Also during this time, we hope to get to know the people and the culture. After we have established a home for our family, we plan to begin ministering in the neighborhoods that make up the town of Milo. Many of the neighborhoods have access to one of four community centers. In each of these four community centers, we plan to set up a sports outreach program. This sports outreach program will include planning sports activities combined with God's Word being taught to those who come. It is through this program that we plan to reach the youth in the neighborhoods of Milo and their families with the gospel. As a result of these sports clubs, we desire to see people saved. Then we will involve them in Bible studies, discipleship, and prayer groups. That will then tie these families into our church. Our heart's desire is to see the church in Mallow flourish to the point where Irish nationals take leadership of the church. At this point, we would go and plant additional churches in the surrounding regions of the country. The ultimate goal is to give all honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and reach the Republic of Ireland for His name. It's my privilege to recommend to you Josh and Denise Stewart as missionaries sent out of Canton Baptist Temple to the Republic of Ireland. I remember the day when they walked the aisle and surrendered right here at this altar to reach the Irish people with the gospel. It has been my joy to watch them grow in their walk with the Lord and to faithfully serve right here in our youth ministry. I can assure you that Josh and Denise love the Lord and are fully surrendered to do His will for their lives. As you well know, over the past few decades, Europe has become more pervasively secular and humanistic than ever before. Because of the decline of Christianity in Western Europe, church buildings sit empty and others have just a handful of believers with no pastor. Ireland is one of the most religious countries in Western Europe, and yet the vast majority of Irish people do not have a personal relationship with God. It's Josh and Denise's desire to go and, and share Jesus Christ with these dear people. Will you please pray about financially partnering with the Stewart family in order that they might go and fulfill God's calling upon their lives. Thank you for considering how you can partner with us to reach the Irish people. exciting that uh, that is that is very exciting you know Ireland at one time was a, just a, a spiritual hotbed great revivals sending missionaries to other places and now it's all cooled off and it's really hard it's a really hard place but thank God that they've got the vision to go and do that please reach in the book rack right there in front of you somewhere along the aisle and see if you can find one of those little black folders and if you can, 
I'll appreciate it if you'll put your name on that and give it to somebody near you. Thank you. Well, tonight is, uh, tonight is our last night at the dinner theater. And I'll tell you, it has just absolutely been terrific. And I, I think that God has really moved in a lot of people's lives. You know, we're hearing things now. Uh, it's, uh, it's really good. And I'm sure we'll have more to report in the, in the days ahead. So if you've already been to the dinner theater, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you've been to the theater, pray for everything that goes up on, happens on top of this hill tonight, okay? Pray for us. Because uh, this is all about, we want this to be about God. We want this to plant seeds in the hearts of people that will grow into a, a real harvest of righteousness, okay? Uh, we thank you for your participation. And uh, we look forward to uh, what God's going to do. I just want to draw this to your attention. This is our birthday gift to Jesus offering. And, and uh, we are right now at $20,000 on our way to our goal. And so the way we get there is everybody needs to pray about their part. You know, I'm convinced that we can reach this goal, but only if you pray about your part. Lord, what do you want me to do? Look over this list. Uh, see if there's something you can really identify with there and say, hey, listen, uh, I'll have a family meeting and we'll talk about this and we'll write a check. We'll take care of half of that or we'll take care of two of those. We're going to need an awful lot of $1,000 checks and $500 checks and $250 checks. And uh, this offering will kind of roll over into January, all the way through the end of January. So you got time. Let's Let's just pray and expect it to come in because as you saw today these people on this list are real people and they've all been vetted well they're all good people and so when you make an investment in the people on this list you know your money is being used in the right way so that's important so whenever you give any of your gifts to the Christmas offering just make sure you designated Christmas okay so that we can keep it separate all right Let's stand together, please, as our ushers come this morning, and we'll receive our morning offering together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love and how you take care of us. We thank you for uh, uh, people like Josh and Denise that, uh, that heard your voice and surrendered to your call. We pray for a mighty blessing upon them. We thank you for the Bergs, too, uh, that are visiting here in our church today, our missionaries to the Jewish people on the east side of Pittsburgh. We thank you that we can uh, be friends with all these people, and they can encourage us, and we can encourage them. We pray now that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
You could hear a woman cry in the alleyway that night on the streets of David's town. And the stable was not clean. And the cobblestones were cold. And little Mary, full of grace, with the tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. For the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, it was a labor of love. Noble Joseph at her On the streets of David's town In the middle of the night So he held her and he prayed Shafts of moonlight on his face But the baby in her womb He was the maker of the moon he was the author of the faith that could make the mountains move. Of her beautiful heart, it was a labor of love for little Mary, full of grace, with the tears upon her face. It was a labor of Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of John in the New Testament. Thank you. Thank you. 
book of John in the New Testament. I'd like to speak to you today from John 3.16, and I call this the simple Christmas love letter. You'll know that this, uh, this verse uh, is in the context of the Lord's conversation with Nicodemus. And uh, he's trying to uh, talk to one of the most important religious leaders of their time, Nicodemus. He was on the Supreme Court in Israel, the Sanhedrin Council. And uh, he and a few others, uh, he said, we know that you're sent from God. And so he came to Jesus by night and Jesus was conversing back and forth with him. And Jesus was trying to get over to him that he needed to be born again. And what that literally means is born from above, a new start in his life in a spiritual direction. And uh, Jesus was going back and forth with him about being born again. And uh, as they were working this through, uh, we come to this incredible verse in verse 16, and many of you know it by heart. Let me give it to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I know you've heard many times that and you'll hear many times in the future, if you live long enough, that the Bible is too hard to understand. And people just kind of like dismiss it out of hand because they say it's too hard. Well, let me say to you that the Bible is hard. In a lot of places, the prophecy, lots of figures of speech, symbolism, hyperbole, metaphors, parables. But... The most important places in the Bible are the simplest places. Uh, the Lord wanted to make sure that everybody had it crystal clear just how this whole gospel that we preach works. And here's a great example of the simplicity of important things right here. Now, in my Bible, there are 25 words in this one sentence, and I find that this is interesting. Uh, there's an odd number of words, but the middle word in that odd number of words is the word son. The first 12 words before the word son describes what God has done to reach and save sinful man. The next 12 words after the word son describes what man must do to receive the gift of salvation. Of those 25 words, 19 are single syllable words. That's as easy as you get. The Lord didn't want anybody walking away from this conversation saying, listen, this is too tough for me. I don't understand. Well, this has been described by some as a love letter from God written in blood and addressed to everyone. R.A. Torrey said one time that this is the greatest sentence ever written. It's uh, for our purpose today. It's a letter at Christmas from God. And it talks, first of all, about the origin of Christmas. Where did Christmas come from? Well, we find that in the first two words, for God. It came from God. Christmas begins with God. You know, the whole Bible stands on the fact of the existence of God. There can't be a here without a there. There can't be a creation without a creator. I was watching a week or so ago an interview on Fox News. I think it was Sean Hannity 
that was talking to one of our astronauts, Gene Kernan. Gene Kernan was the last man to walk on the moon. And he said, from the perspective of the moon, when you look down upon the earth, and we have that, we have that picture back there, when you look down upon the earth, uh, he says, you just have to believe that there's a creator, that this whole order and arrangement was put together by someone a lot greater than us. At a comparative religion conference, the wise and scholarly people were meeting, and they had a spirited debate going on about why Christianity was unique. Someone suggested that the thing that sets Christianity apart from other religions was the concept of the incarnation, Bethlehem, the idea that God took human form in Jesus. But some quickly said, well, actually, other faiths believe that God appears in human form too. Another suggestion was offered about the resurrection, the belief that death is not the final word, and that the tomb was found empty. Someone slowly shook their head and said other religions have accounts of people returning from the dead. Then, as the story is told, C.S. Lewis walked into the room, tweed jacket, arms full of papers. A little early for his part of the presentation, he sat down and... Uh, took in the conversation. And, he, and by now, which had evolved into a fierce debate, finally, during a lull, he spoke out. And he said, what's all this rumpus about? Everyone turned in his direction, and um, they were trying to explain themselves. They said, we're debating what's unique about Christianity. He said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. The room fell silent. Lewis continued that Christianity uniquely claims God's love comes free of charge. No strings attached. No other religion makes that claim. After a moment, someone commented that Lewis had a point. Buddhists, for example, follow an eight-path plan to enlightenment, and it's not a free ride. The Hindus believe in karma, that your actions affect the the way the world will treat you, and that there is nothing that comes to you that is not set in motion by your actions. Someone else observed that uh, the Jewish code of the law implies God has requirements for people to be acceptable to him. And in Islam, God is the God of judgment, not a God of love. People live to appease him. Well, God's love is unconditional. Uh, Philip Yancey said one time, there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Now that's hard for us to understand because, you know, our love is kind of conditional, isn't it? This person does the right thing, okay, we'll put him on our love category. If the wrong thing, we pull him right off, right? Our love is so fragile. God's isn't. You know, sometimes people perceive that God is different in the Old Testament. I've been reading a lot there because we have a Bible reading schedule out there, and if you don't have one, pick one up. I've been a lot in the Old Testament, and I'll tell you what, God was mad half of the time in the Old Testament. I mean, he just woke up mad, he went to bed mad, he just stayed mad. Uh, but, and a lot of times people got the concept that God in the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. But I want to show you a verse of Scripture that will, I think, change your mind on that. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Let's look at this together. And uh, do you think you can help me to read it? Let's read it together. 
the Lord passed in front of Moses and said, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, the merciful and gracious God. I am slow to anger and rich in unfailing love and faithfulness. I show this unfailing love to many thousands by forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Even so, I do not leave sin unpunished, but I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. Now let's go back to the first verse there. Look at this. I am the Lord. I'm full of mercy. I have lots of grace. I'm slow to anger. I'm rich in unfailing love and faithfulness. And I show unfailing love to many thousands by forgiving every kind, every kind of sin. Now, this is God in the Old Testament right here. Moses said, remember, God, show me your glory. And when Moses made that statement, I thought to myself, boy, I'll tell you what, Moses really wants to see like the big bang. You know, God can do those things, some miraculous thing. But God comes on the scene right here and he says, listen, I'm going to, instead of show you my glory, I'm going to tell you my glory. I'm going to tell you who I am. Because the glory of the Lord is not necessarily what he can do. It's who he is. It's his character. The glory of God is his character. This is who God is right here. He says, first and foremost, I'm a God of love and forgiveness. But you have to keep in mind, I won't let the guilty go unpunished either. I'm also a God of justice. And so in the Old Testament, God didn't change from Old Testament times to New Testament times. Uh, He is a God of love in every generation. And the reason why is because it's his nature. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Uh, So Christmas is God's idea. God comes to the rescue at Christmas. Uh, He is the origin of Christmas. The next thought from this verse is the intensity of Christmas. For God so loved. Every Every time I come to those two little words, it's like they almost make me step back and say, Oh, wow. So loved. So a little bit more intensity here. Well, Jeremiah 31.3 says this, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. In the Old Testament, God says, Listen, I have this thing called everlasting love. Everlasting love. It just never stops. It's always going forward. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's the epitome of love, isn't it? Only God does those things. 1 John 4, 10, I love this verse. This is real love. Not that we loved him. A lot of times we come to the church and we say, okay, I love the Lord. We sing about loving the Lord. Uh, John says, listen, real love, real love is not that we love God, but that he loved us. And gave his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's real love. And so the intensity of Christmas is the fact that God so loved. You know, the Bible talks about what God has created. He's created all things. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. 
What is the length to which God will go to tell you how much he cares for you? Well, there's no limit. God loves, now follow me here. God loves the sinner, but not the sin. He differentiates somehow. We have a problem with that. You know, we look at somebody and we say, oh, they're that kind of person. We turn it off. God doesn't do that. He separates the sin from the sinner. He loves the sinner. He hates the sin. He loves the criminal. He hates the crime. He loves the rebel, but he hates their rebellion. Uh, that's interesting. It really is. That he has that concept within him. And, and we need to look at people like that, too. You know, we say, okay, all, the, all my friends are good people. Well, listen, God has a much bigger concept than that. He looks at the bad people, the people that are speaking out against him, and he says, listen, I love them too. Well, the next thing is the object of Christmas, and that's the world. For God so loved the world, cosmos. God set the world in motion. He uh, put people there as his crowning work of creation and uh, makes every, everything work. You know, when you go back to Genesis and you see how God created the world, it's kind of, it's, it's quite astounding, isn't it? And then it's almost like when it came to the time to populate the earth with people. It's like God stepped back and said, okay, now I'm going to really show you something. And so he takes some dirt and he forms Adam and he breathes life into him. And uh, Adam is lonely, as you know. It's not good that man should be a what? alone. So he's lonely and God sees this and he says, listen, I'm going to fix that problem. <laughs> I'm going to fix that problem. And so he puts him to sleep and out of his side, he, he makes Eve. And Adam wakes up and says, oh my, <laughs> this is good. <laughs> this is a good thing. <laughs> and so Adam and Eve, they are God's crowning creation. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. We're made in the image of God. And what does that mean? That means that we have some God-likeness. He places in our heart a conscience. And when somebody is hurting somebody, what happens? We rise up to defend them. When somebody is doing something wrong, there's something inside of us that wants to scream out, hey, that's wrong. The image of God. The image of God. We, we are different than the animals. We have a spirit with which we can communicate with God in the image of God. There are so many wonderful potentialities uh, that God has placed in you and in me through our creation alone. Uh, I think it was quite a revelation to Nicodemus and those who heard this verse uh, that God so loved the whole world because, you know, they just kind of thought that just God loved them. That God loved the people that loved him. Uh, to the atheists, God loves them. People who say, listen, I don't believe that there is a God. To the agnostic, the people who say, listen, I don't know if there is a God. God says, listen, I love you too. Uh, the people who were seeking God, of course, God loves them. But the people who were speaking out against God, God loves them. 
I'm sure you've seen this recent thing on TV that they are advertising in Times Square to take Christ out of Christmas. And uh, the atheists are, are advertising and things of that nature. You know what God's, con God's idea of that is? Listen, I love them. I care about them. They're part of this world. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us to love. And so what God wants us to do is to realize it's so easy to say God loves the world and just forget about it all. But God wants us to realize that God loves us. He loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. He loves me. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, For this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, this was a revelation at this time that God's love would reach out all over the world. They just thought that God shined his affection on the nation of Israel. Now, let me say that the nation of Israel is special with God. They really are because they are the channel through which we have the Messiah, Jesus. 1 John 2, 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. It's so easy for us to become so short-sighted. God is not short-sighted. Uh, he said, listen, I love the whole world. That's why he said to his disciples, go into all the world and do what? Leave some people out of your preaching? Preach the gospel to who? Everybody. I love them all. Uh, that's a wonderful thing, and I think we, I need to be reminded of that. I really do. The next thing is the gift of Christmas. He gave his only begotten son, his only unique son. That's the perfect present at Christmas, isn't it? I think most people in this room this morning are, are saved. You've received that perfect Christmas gift, and it's a wonderful thing. And nothing, nothing is compared to that. It transcends everything. All the gifts that we exchange with our family and friends, they are so incidental, aren't they, compared to the gift of Christ, the perfect gift. You know, if you had several vehicles and you gave one of them to a family who had none, it'd be a noble thing. But uh, is, uh, if you only had one and you gave it away, that's a sacrifice. Well, God had lots of things that he could give, the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He could give everything, but he, he, um, he gave it all. He gave it all. He gave his son. Now, let me say to you this morning that Christians are all children of God. All Christians are children of God. But Jesus is God's son in a unique, one-of-a-kind sense. I heard about a little child that was in a a program in the church, and they were quoting John 3.16, and that's a good verse to quote, really is. But uh, the little child misquoted it, and when they got to only begotten, they said only forgotten, son. And for most of the people in the world, Jesus is forgotten. His life is forgotten, his resurrection, his death, his forgiveness is forgotten. But it's an opportunity for you and for me to tell them, to remind them, uh, about this forgotten person, Jesus. I heard about Joe. He was a drunk. 
he was miraculously converted in a street outreach mission. Before his conversion, he had gained the reputation as a derelict, a wino. But following his conversion to Christ, everything changed. Joe became the most caring person in the mission. He spent his days there doing whatever needed to be done. There was nothing beneath his dignity to do in the mission. He did the dirtiest jobs. He cleaned up the bathrooms. Uh, he did it all with a heart of gratitude and love to God. He could be accounted on to feed any man who was wandering in the streets uh, to give that man a bed in the mission. Uh, one evening after, the, you know, when you go to a mission, I was visiting the hospital over in uh, the north side a couple days ago in intensive care, and I saw this big truck pass me on the north side and it said, City Mission. What an important job they have. What an important job they have. Uh, usually when they take people into the mission, before they feed them, they preach to them, and that's a good thing. Food for the body, food for the soul. One evening after the mission director was delivering his evangelistic message to the usual crowd of sullen men, drooped heads, one of them looked up and came down to the altar and kneeled to pray. And he was crying out to God. Uh, and uh, he was repenting and he said, Oh God, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. The director kind of leaned over to him and said, Son, wouldn't it be better if we prayed, make me like Jesus? And so Joe began to think for a few minutes and looked up with an inquisitive expression and said, Is he like Joe? You've heard it said many times, we are the only Bible, right? Some people will ever read. Uh, Joe was that Bible. Uh, what a great story, and what a powerful way to live. Are we living in such a way that we're reminding people of the only forgotten son? Well, the Bible says here, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave him up to some extreme sufferings, didn't he? The bitter pain of death and rejection on the cross. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. He gave him up for that. For God so loved the whole world that he gave up himself for the world. What is the accessibility of Christmas? This is how accessible it is, really. Whoever believes in him. I understand that the word believe, or, and some of its variations are used at least a hundred times in the book of John. And I mentioned this at the dinner theater. We don't get to heaven by working our way to heaven. We get to heaven by believing our way to heaven. Believing unlocks the door. Whoever believes in him. And what that means is that's a whole lot more than just mentally saying in your mind, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I've known about Jesus forever. It doesn't mean that. It means placing our full trust and confidence in Christ. And consequently, it means not to place our trust in anything else, not the church, 
denomination, baptism, communion, good works. In other words, all the things that people think that help them earn credit with God must be put away in our life. We have to transfer our trust. Most people, a lot of people that I know, a lot of people that I know believe that they are good enough to he for heaven. They really do. And I'm not being condescending in any way. Because if I were out there without the truth of the gospel, I would believe the very same thing. They pay their bills. Whenever someone comes to a four-way stop, they go, they let them through. If they're not in a hurry, they let them through. And they make themselves real, feel real good by the things that they do. And they say, listen, I try to go by the golden rule and I try to keep the Ten Commandments. But uh, when you come to Christ, you have to put all of that aside. Salvation is not in any other name other than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no connection between good works and salvation. Now, after a person is saved, that's when the good works take place. Amen? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works are after we've come to Christ through faith. Uh, all these things uh, are laid down. We come to Christ and we say, Nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I cling. Well, there comes a time in a person's life when they make this transfer. Salvation is not earned. It's not credited to us by the things that we do. Well, relying on Jesus and him alone to give us the power to change. Salvation is a gift to be received. Um, you're well aware of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The disciples were supposed to go out and say, hey, listen, Jesus has a gift for you. He purchased it for you. He went, he bought it. And they said, well, where did he buy it? He bought it on the cross. It's called redemption. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he purchased your eternal salvation. And now, because he purchased it, he goes around offering it to people. Will you take it? Now, I know a lot of people don't want it. And I know a lot of people will put their hands and saying, listen, I'll think about it. But the only people who get it are the people who receive it. To as many as received him, John says, 1 John 1, 12. To as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. Yes, Lord, put it in my hands. Jesus is offering it. We have to receive it. What is the goal of Christmas? The goal is that people should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, the word perish is an ominous term. It really is. The world perished and Noah was delivered. Sodom and Gomorrah perished. Lot was spared. Jericho perished. Rahab was spared. Um, God says, listen, I don't want you to have to pay the price for your sins. You see, someone has to pay the price for our sins. Because the wages of sin is death. And uh, death is eternal separation from God in hell forever. And that's what the Bible teaches. And Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven. And so what would motivate God to send his son? 
your impending date with hell. That's a great motivation. It's a great motivation for people to be saved too, right? And so God doesn't want a person to perish. And so what he does at Christmas is he has an intervention for them. Here are all these people on the road to destruction without a clue that they're even on the wrong road. He said, I want them to have everlasting life. Now, I want you to notice that the word says have here, have everlasting life. That's present tense. When a person receives Jesus as their Savior, they have it. You have it. From that given moment in time on, everlasting life. A lot of times people think, well, you know, I'll get that later. Well, you have that now. Because God sends his spirit to live in your life. And uh, the scripture says, whoever has the son has life. And whoever doesn't have the son does not have life. Well, years ago, a young man had a quarrel with his father and he left home. He continued to keep in touch with his mother and wanted very badly to come home for Christmas. But he was afraid his father would not allow him. And so his mother wrote to him and urged him to come home, but he didn't feel that he could come home until he knew his father had forgiven him. Finally, there was no time for any more letters. His mother wrote and said uh, she would talk with the father. And if he had forgiven him, she would tie a white cloth on the tree which grew right alongside the railroad tracks near their house which he could see before the train when he was coming in the train into the station. And if there was no white cloth, uh, she said, it would be better for you to just stay on the train and keep going. So the young man was uh, started home and on the train as it drew near to his home. He was so nervous he couldn't. He asked his friend who was traveling with him. He said, I can't bear to look. Sit in my place over here and look out the window. And... Uh, the guy says, listen, I'll tell you what the tree looks like uh, and uh, whether there's a white cloth on it or not. So the, ch the, the friend changed places with him and looked out the window. After a bit, the friend said, oh, yes, I see the tree. The son said, is there a white cloth tied to it? For a moment, the friend did not say anything. Then he turned with a very gentle voice, said, there is a white cloth tied to every limb on that tree. You know, in some sense, Jesus Christ is the white cloth, our Heavenly Father tied to the tree, to the cross of Calvary, signaling, listen, it's safe to come home. Forgiveness is here. That's what Christmas is about. It's safe to come home. Forgiveness awaits you if you trust in me as your personal Savior. You won't have to perish but I'll give you the gift that I purchased for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's the gift of me. Ephesians 3.17 says this, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. The gift of me. That's the perfect Christmas gift. Amen? The perfect one. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I wonder if you're here today and maybe you've never reached out by faith and trusted Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. Well, this would be the perfect time for you to do that this morning in the church. 
You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to have an emotional experience. You just have to make a good, solid decision in your heart. Lord, I need you. I want to be a believer. I believed in you in my head, but now I want to put you in my heart. I want to embrace you as my Lord and Savior. And so as we wait, why don't you just, in your own words, just call out to God and say, Lord, come into my heart. I've broken your law. I've offended you. Forgive me. I accept your free gift of eternal life. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, this incredible verse of Scripture that is so clear and so plain that tells us that this wonderful salvation which you purchased on the cross is so accessible to everyone who believes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song today. And as we sing together, if you'd like to come and pray about anything here, uh, please feel free to do that. Jesus.
Father God, what a privilege it is to come into your house, and we are so grateful and thankful that you have given us your word, Lord, and especially John 3.16 just sums up what you have uh, done for us, God. What an amazing gift, Jesus Christ coming to this earth, and we just thank you that we can celebrate that now, God. Help us, Lord, as, as believers to go out and spread this, spread the truth so that people can know that a Savior came to wash their sin away, to die on the cross for them. God, strengthen us as we go out into the world. Lord, help us to see it as a mission field. May we go out and glorify you and exalt you every day, God, seeking to walk in obedience to your will. You are great and awesome, God. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Turn around and shake hands with your neighbors. God bless you. You're dismissed. Mm -hmm.